everyone, and welcome back to Nerds Adulting Podcast. Today is a new format where once a month we will revisit some retro stuff. So it's a retro Sunday fun day, and today we'll be talking about Metal Gear, Metal Gear Solid, if I get that out right. Today I'll, I am joined by my co-host Josh, and I'm also joined by our special guest Brandon from LRM Online. How are you guys doing? Hey, Peter, what's up? Not much, man. I'm just super excited. Brandon, first of all, thanks again for coming on and doing this. For those of you who don't know, Brandon and I also have a like side podcast that is actually really popular called Crazed by Wolves. So, and he does a lot of work in LRM, LRM Online, does some really cool stuff there, and also part of Breaking Geek Radio, the podcast, right? So, he's also a fellow podcaster. But So, welcome to the show, Brandon. I'm glad you could join us today. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, yeah. Um, so today's uh, Metal Gear Solid. Our focus is today is the 1998 PlayStation release of Metal Gear Solid. We're going to dive into a few things like uh, the development, some development stuff, some fun facts that I, that I learned researching this topic. Uh, we also, I know we talk ad nauseum about it, and I'm milking the shit out of it, but David Hader was like one of the first interviews we did. So I have like three clips I'm going to play for us to re- kind of react to and discuss. Um, what do you say, you guys ready to jump into it and start talking? 100% ready. Let's do it to it. All right. So, development and release. Metal Gear Solid was a, is a stealth game that was developed by Konami, released on September 3rd, which is actually my birthday in Japan, and then Octo- October 20th, 1998. Funniest thing is that I believe it was the fifth most selling game of 1998, despite the fact that it launched in October. Um, so total units sold was, it says here, this is from, I guess it's Wikipedia, I don't remember, I'm terrible, terrible host. Three million copies were sold in Japan and over seven million plus were sold in um, America. So uh, what do you guys think about about those numbers and those stats? What do you guys remember about? So I think, I think seven million is total. It's 3.2 in the US. Oh, you're right. You're right. My notes, I read my notes wrong. You're correct. Yes. Thank you for yeah. that. Yeah. So uh, that's that's a lot but it definitely shows that the u.s was definitely more of a fan of the game well there was like, also more consoles that were sold in the united states we are 300 million plus versus what in japan i don't know yeah that million. is true that is true but still it just goes to show that uh the u.s has a a gaming problem <laughs> a gaming problem <laughs> um so during the dev, so I learned this. I thought this was kind of interesting. Did you guys know that uh, Kojima originally planned for the Metal Gear game um, to be released on a 3DO interactive system? Did you guys know that? No, I didn't. I didn't. I don't. To be completely fair and honest, I'm not even sure what a 3DO is. <laughs> Brandon, do you remember the 3DO? Really? Yeah. According to I this is Wikipedia. 3DO. Jesus, that thing. Yeah, this started, it says in 1994, even though I found conflicting reports saying that development actually started in 1995. But the original, I guess the original plan Kojima had was for it to be in the 3DO system. Yeah. So I'll say this about release of the game. Um, So 1998, I don't know if you guys remember this, but this is the year that Tekken came out. Gran Turismo came out. um, Crash Bandicoot 3, Resident Evil 2. Uh, It was a huge year. Yeah, for games. 
Yeah, yeah. just in general, so, you're right. Because Resident Evil 2 is a powerhouse itself. Like, people went crazy over Resident Evil 2 that year. Good company. What was that, Brandon? I think we lost you there for a second. Yeah. I just said good company. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so another thing was that some people, I think most Metal Gear fans know that Metal Gear 1 and Metal, Metal Gear 2 were never released in North America. The ones that everyone was familiar with was the Metal Gear versions on Nintendo, which Kojima had no involvement with. Uh, so you had Metal Gear and then Snake's Revenge, which were very different or had some some differences in the original story, which I didn't even know. I remember playing the original Metal Gear and I'm thinking this entire time was a sequel to those games and it wasn't. Do you guys remember that? So I... I never played them, but yeah, I do remember. I have played the, not the Japanese versions, which are, you can get them now, like you can like port them and stuff, but I have played the the US like curated ones for Nintendo. And there's definitely some inconsistencies that I found that don't make sense with the further, like, actual Kojima, like, curated games. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Brandon, do you remember the cover of those games? Yeah, the uh, Michael Bean stand-in kind of for uh, Snake. Yeah, and I don't think he got any royalties for that or anything. It was like back that that was like reminded me of Contra. Remember, like Contra, like clearly those were they clearly took the Commando movie cover and superimposed that, or it was inspired by that. Yeah, and put it on. It's Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone. Like, there's no, it is them. And so that just reminded me of like this like entire thing that went on with Nintendo covers, and that was like one of. I just remember seeing it. I'm like, man, that's Michael Bean from, uh. Um, aliens and Terminator. I'm like, that's him, but I don't think he yeah. ever got royalties for that. Um, well, I so, think it's yeah, but it's like 100% his pose from Terminator as Kyle yeah. Reese. Yes, exactly. I always thought that was funny when I saw that because I had the game cartridge and I, I it wasn't my. T- I was probably I don't know. I was probably too. I was really young and I probably just don't like the game style. You know, at the time I wanted to play Mario and Contra. I just want to blow shit up. I kind of the same way now too, <laughs> but. um what the the last yeah. one fact that I have that I thought was interesting was apparently Solid Snake's physique uh in in Metal Gear Solid was based on Jean Claude Van Damme and his facial appearance or lack thereof was based on Christopher Walken. What do you guys think about that? I don't see a resemblance to Christopher Walken. I can't see it. I don't know if you guys see it. I don't see that. You're talking about his the artwork or like his actual like his 3D the model in, face the that doesn't char- make sense. Yeah, the in-game character model. Ah, maybe those dimples, no. those crazy dimples he's got on his cheeks from the 3D renders. But really it's just like this. No, I don't see it. Yeah. Yeah, th- I'm looking thought, at it now. I don't see it. I thought what what about his physique? You don't think his physique could fit Jean-Claude Van Damme's? Oh, Jean-Claude Van Damme, that's totally I got could that. Could be anybody. Cool. True, but it could be true. like any like muscle guy from that time period. Um, I don't know. I thought those were those were kind of interesting, and the fact that that the game was originally developed for the 3DO was really interesting because that system. I had my mom's friend's husband had that, and he let me play it all the time, and and it was just like, I just man, like think about 
think about like the course of history. Like we may have never even got to play Metal Gear if it was originally released on the 3DO because the 3DO was like nothing compared to what the PlayStation system was. And then correct. Do you so? Do you guys remember your first experience playing Metal Gear? I'm kind of curious. You no, know, like when you first heard about it. So if so, I do right. So I remember. My fr- I was it wasn't my first experience playing it, but like you know how when you're younger and you may not have that much confidence to play games, so you just watch like your older cousin or your older siblings play, and you just sit there patiently and just enjoy watching them. So that's that was my experience with Metal Gear. So like I don't remember how old I was, probably ninety nine, maybe two thousand. I was visiting some family in New York, and I was staying in my older cousin he was like maybe 16 17 i was staying in my older cousin's room i mean um i was sleeping in his room but and he was like hey do you mind if i play this game and i was like dude fine i was like games what's up like play it right he had a playstation he was cool he was like i was like oh i don't have a playstation can i watch you cool so he starts playing this game and i was like what is this game called like being super annoying and I remember him being like, it's called Metal Gear. You play like this secret agent guy. And I remember just laying there in the dark and the the glow, that blue glow, that like blue haze that the game overall has, that it emits like that gray, light blue glow just on his TV. And I remember just laying on the ground with a pillow behind my head, just watching him for like five hours. No talking. I just enjoyed watching him. And I remember like being... Like, watching it being like, I need to get into this. Like, I really want to play this. This looks super entertaining. Even though I was young, I, like, understood, like, the desire to want to, like, experience this. And I remember asking him, like, a little bit of questions, like, here and there. And then eventually I got my own PlayStation. And I got it. And I was just hooked. I've beaten Metal Gear Solid maybe... 15 16 times now like from kid to like now and i've i recently beat it maybe at the most like maybe five years ago i beat it again well, it was just released they just released it on i think on um green man gaming i think just re-released it or it well it's been purchase. released it's been released on pc as called a, it's called metal gear solid integral i think you can get it on steam or maybe on what you said too. I haven't looked it well, up recently. For the longest time, look that up. Yeah, for the longest, I, th- I thought Integral, Integral, or Integral, however you say. It, I thought that was a different game. Like that wasn't quite it. But I know for the longest time, the original Windows ninety eight, well not ninety eight, but the original like Windows version from two thousand, like two thousand whatever, eventually was obsolete, and they never released updates for it. And so there was tons of people. There was like a community that basically not modded it, but emulated it. And it wasn't until recently that you couldn't even play the game on PC, like legitimately until Green Man Gaming re- released it, uh, if I remember correctly. Because I'm pretty sure, Brandon, you shared that with me personally. But anyways, Brandon, I'm curious about you. I don't think we've ever discussed this, which surprisingly to me, what was your first experience or learning about the game uh, of Metal Gear Solid? So it's very similar to Josh's. Uh, I remember watching someone play it before i played it myself and the thing that kind of makes me laugh about it was i remember the first time i saw it i was like is this 
Is this siphon filter that everybody keeps talking about? Is that what <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Um, exactly. It's like the same kind of like shape the character models, like the that art, that like a uh, 3D style of their bodies and stuff. Yeah, I can see that. That's the same thing I thought. Sorry for interrupting. Super confused. And then <laughs> I finally... No, no, you're good. No, it's, um, but I, I remember finally getting my own copy of it and then just tearing through that game. I think I've definitely, just like Josh, in the double digits of beating that game because I wanted to go back. I wanted to get the headband for the unlimited ammo. Yep. I wanted to get Otacon stealth camo. I wanted to like see the different endings. I wanted to, like creepily enough, I wanted to see Meryl changing in the bathrooms. So like once you start learning about all of the different permutations of this game, you're like, I'm going to go back in and try to do all of this stuff myself. Um, try and beat it only using um, the uh, the stun as opposed to killing people. Uh, it's like I, that game for the time, at least for me, was just insane when it came to things like that. Like, oh, you can go back and do this. Oh, you can go back and like now, I'm like beat a game and be done. Um, I remember Ty talking about, yeah, I platinumed some game. I was like, yeah, I ain't got time for that shit. Like, I, right. I play to the end and then I'm done. But when I was a kid, like Metal Gear, I'm like, I, I'm gonna keep going, keep going. So that's funny you mentioned the the Meryl thing it was like something you had to do i can't remember what it was but you had to do something specifically and then she wouldn't have pants on in the bathroom and i remember that i remember going back and replaying that i'm like god i'm such a perv but it's like then i thought in my head like am i pervy for doing this or am i the perv for putting it in the game and then sure enough later on we learned that kojimi is kind of a perv but so when you catch her without pants i remember exactly like what she had to do so she has a distinct walk Right. And my fucking Otacon is like, it's the way that she walks. He's straight up like, yo, look at her butt. Like he straight up says that, like in the in the codec call. And so you have to follow her. Like when she notices you, you have to like basically be right up behind her as she goes in the bathroom. If you miss it by like maybe three seconds, if she goes in and you just see her and you like walk in three seconds after, she'll be completely changed. But if you're like basically with her going into the bathroom then she'll be in her underwear yeah i just yeah but brandon brought that over yeah <laughs> yeah super creeper status um yeah i thought that was so my not, i'm not gonna dive into it too much but my my experience was i remember playing it on a demo um and it was all in japanese and i actually really enjoyed it and it was i just remember being in a box and like this dude like yelling in japanese and kicking the box off of me and i was dying laughing and it was just like hilarious to me i just remember how like amazing this game was just playing that demo and then from that point on i was like i could not wait and i also remember game informer had a huge spread i want to say it was game informer i could be could be wrong but it had a huge like spread it was like a three or four page so back in the day children we used to get our gaming information from a thing called a magazine yeah <laughs> that actually got that we had to go and buy or got mailed to us if you subscribe to it but anyways i remember just reading that page after page just going back and like it really kind of it really like um, um, amplified my interest in that game, reading about it and all the things they were talking about in, in that game and about the history behind it, even though I didn't really know much about it at the time. And I thought that was really interesting. So um, before we uh, go a little bit further, I want to talk a little bit about the cast. But before I jump into the cast, I just want to play one clip from the interview that we did about David Hayter talking about how he got the part. And then we can kind of talk about that. You guys ready? You want, you just want to do that? Move on to that? Sure. All right, here it is. Metal Gear. <laughs> uh, well, let's see. I was, well, in 1993 or so, 
Uh, I got cast as to play a Russian, I played the Russian brother of the Russian planeteer in Captain Planet. And mm-hmm. the casting director on that was a woman named Chris Zimmerman, who five years later was attached to direct the English language voice script for Metal Gear. And so I got called in. Uh, I'm also told that my friend Jennifer Hale, who's one of the greatest voice actresses in the world, um, also recommended me, reminded Chris about me. And so they both uh, share some of the uh, blame. Uh, so <laughs> I uh, so I went in and I auditioned. And then um, it was this weird little house in Hollywood that had been converted into a sound studio and offices and things like that. And um, all of the Yoji Shinkawa art was up on the walls. And I saw that and it looked really cool. And I just went in, I did an audition, and then I got a call a couple days later, uh, actually from Jennifer Hale, telling me that I got the part. So, Oh, wow. That's how it happened. So I got to say, that was like, it's kind of interesting to me because this guy just went in, he was, you know, like kind of, sort of like, uh, I don't want to say nobody, you know, he just kind of had some stuff, with, he did Captain Planet, but then he goes in and gets his part, and now he's just kind of like a legend, you know, I really, and I just loved hearing that story about just how he just randomly auditioned and got the part. So. He had some small, like he had some small, like anime voice uh, p- points at that time too. I forget which shows specifically, but he had some small roles in some anime voices. Yeah, Brandon, yeah, what do you think is funny about that to me is that I was just gonna say it's funny that um, it's interesting. Like you look at this cast, it's almost like a TV cast in the sense that from a TV show, there are usually only like one or two people that continue on to to be somebody. And of those two people, it's him and Jennifer Hale, right? So it's Fim Shep and uh, David Hayter. So I thought that that was kind of an interesting, um, an interesting thing. Yeah. You know, it's funny. That's a really good point. Cause I was just thinking about the show 30 rock and how uh, there's a lot of people on that show that really haven't gone on to do much else. And uh, like two for, I don't know if you guys watch 30 rock, like two for, and then um, mm-hmm. what's his name in the hat. I'm just watching the show. The guy always wore the hats. Like they, they don't, they haven't done much since, and it's very funny that you br- brought that up uh, because that's how I was thinking when I was looking at this cast. Well, Cam Clark, I hope I say this right, if it's Cam Clark or Cam Clark, I doubt it's Clarky. But Cam Clark, he was really famous. I mean, as a child, his voice was famous to us because he did Leonardo from the 80s, 90s Ninja yeah. Turtles. He also did Rocksteady's voice, which I didn't know. Um, but so Going forward, though, we should call him Cam, Cam Clarky. Just Cam Cam Clarky. <laughs> I was every time I see that I want to say Cam Clarky. Oh, interesting uh, fact though. I actually emailed out to him and okay. he was actually yeah. <laughs> put an E at the end to sound more distinguished. <laughs> I don't know if you guys caught, know that reference, but um, yeah, he actually. Uh, I'm on the verge of getting. I was on the verge of getting him on the show, but then something came up, so I was really bummed that he wouldn't come on here. I just want to ask him, like, even for five minutes, to ask him a few questions about. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and this. But he also did the voice for Simba and Kingdom Hearts 2 in Korn on Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, which I thought was kind of interesting. But so Debbie Mae West, who did the voice for Meryl, she actually did a lot of work as Tsunade in Naruto, which I thought I thought I had no idea. Did you guys know that? that she did I did all- not know that. But I mean, I'm not that big of a Naruto fan as oh. the yeah. average anime consumer is. Yeah, I don't know if Brandon, if you're big into Naruto. I mean, I was for a while, but I just Tsunade is like a big character and spans across a lot of episodes. So I was surprised that she did like a lot of voice work for her. 
Oh, as um, Josh was saying that about Naruto, I was like, yeah, ditto. I'm not. For whatever reason, I never got into Naruto. I am reading. I was reading One Piece and I had to stop because I had to give up my iPad. That's a whole other story. Um, <laughs> but yeah, not uh, for whatever reason, I couldn't get into it. Were you into Dragon Ball, Brandon? Yeah. So you I was were one of those that. nerds. I had, uh, I watched that in high school. Uh, so we would go home from school, play You Don't Know Jack, watch Dragon Ball. And then I went to GameStop and I got one of those like ugly blue Dragon Ball Z shirts, like, you know, with the Super Saiyans on it. I was that kid uh, that had like one of those Funimation style, like Gundam and um, Dragon nice. Ball shirts. I wish I could find one of those now. I'm sure you could. Someone's probably making them illegally on Etsy. <laughs> mine, um, mine specifically. Oh, oh. Um, so about the cast, the one of the things that I want to talk about was like just their voices, and then the 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 spot onness, I guess, for lack of a better term. Like when I heard Camp, like Colonel's, uh, Roy Campbell's voice, and I heard Snake's voice in English for the first time, I was like that is them you know what i mean like that like something yeah, about the voice work yeah like, roy campbell's voice is like if anybody else does it no yeah and i was like i really thought that like they did a great job on casting because when i heard these voices and snake did a or david Hader did a fantastic job like honing that voice which um actually let me play that real quick i only have three clips to play I mean, this is david Hader on how he got to the voice i auditioned with my voice which is I mean, obviously, I was 21 years younger, but I, I essentially sounded like this. And, I, you know, I, I was doing my my sort of standard heroic voice. And, right. um, and then I got the script and I read that he was already retired and he was already a legend and he really didn't want to come back. And he'd been through a lot and everybody knew who he was. And I was like, I think this guy is older than me and and, and he's got just the weight of the world on his shoulders. Like, I mean, like literally like the guy, this is the guy you call when, when the world needs to be saved and he doesn't want to come back and do it. So just sort of doing it, 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 it it got grittier and it got heavier and, and more weighted. And, and so that was the voice that I, I developed in like the week between I got cast and, and, and when I started and uh, and we got halfway through the day and then Chris Zimmerman said, hey, can I play you the voice you auditioned with? <laughs> so she played it for me. And of course, it was totally different. And I was like, I, yeah, I know. I'll, I just kind of felt he should be like this. Do you want to change it? And everybody sort of talked about it in the room and we agreed that we should stick with um, with the, the, the gruffer voice. So uh, so that's how it happened. Uh, I just sort of came up with it. So I thought that I found that super interesting. What did you guys think about that? I like how he talked about how he aged the voice, like according to how Solid Snake himself ages. Like he talks about, like since it's so grumbly as you get older, like he would imagine that his, you know, the larynx it changes position and stuff. So I like how he talked about how he adjusted it. But that's a that's a cool story about how developing a voice goes because you have to consider who the character is and all these kinds of intricate pieces and stuff. So hearing him talk about it and actually being the one to ask him uh that was pretty cool <laughs> <laughs> hello josh how are you i just remember yeah, that he when was he like, came hey, on josh, you're pretty good i was like oh god yes <laughs> super fangirling like so i remember 
this is like not really related to the game per se, but I remember doing that episode and I had just moved into this house and I like set up my computer like two days before and you were like, we're doing the show. And I was like, fuck. And so I remember that day the internet went out and I got dropped from the call and I went insane. I ran downstairs. I was like, everybody turn off everything, but I'm doing shut it down like i ran back upstairs i like reset my router and i got reconnected and i was like hey i'm back and i was like i tried to be like hey sorry mr hater you know i got that alabama internet and he was like oh don't worry i was like oh thank god and like i thought he was gonna be like i'm out and just leave i was like no please <laughs> i saw you drop and i just uh, went on with it though brandon yeah. what did you think about that story about how he developed a, the voice i thought it was cool um i liked that what I got from him is that he didn't have any ego about it. And so, which is a thing that you don't normally associate with actors. Um, he gets the script and obviously sees something different about it. And he's, he's trying to uh, find that character and not necessarily, you know, be himself, but he's trying to be that person. Absolutely. 100%. So I thought it was cool. Yeah. I thought I th- just still going back and thinking about how, you know, when they were probably shooting there, I think I even asked them, but they're like, they go in to make, do the voice work and, you know, work on this game. And, you know, t- 20, 20 years later, you know, you're a legend. Like, it's just like, I just like the idea of that is so fascinating to me. Like, you're just going in to do something um, as a job. And, you know, you have no idea. I don't think they really had any idea how big it truly was going to be. But for it to blow up and be like this legendary status is just really fascinating to me. I just love hearing these little, like, obscure stories you know about anything but especially about metal gear because i'm such a fan so i loved hearing that from him i learned a lot of stuff in that interview actually um that i didn't know and that was my goal when i you know when i went into the interview was ask him stuff that i truly want to learn that i think other people would find interesting um so let me ask you before you move on do you think one day we will ever actually find out what the fuck happened with with what with what? There's so much. <laughs> With him continuing on as the voice. I thought we it was pretty much set in stone that Kojima just didn't respect him as an actor and he just wanted to go with a real like life actor. He just didn't Oh also too, I thought that there was like an ego thing too. He felt like he was getting more credit for people. And it just no, this is all like rumors from what I what I could understand and read. That's what that, I mean. Um, I mean, I guess it's all okay. Yeah, I, I don't think we'll ever truly know. I think it's, but I think it's pretty obvious. I say obvious, but I think it's fairly clear that Kojima's ego was just, you know, too big. I think that's what it comes down to. I think Kojima just was like kind of a dick about it. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, so I'm, I was pretty upset that he did not voice uh, Venom Snake in. Uh, in in phantom pain but i get it like i I, obviously i'm upset about the way kojima handled it like how you tell him he's like a i want a real actor like how do you go about thinking that way when literally this guy's voice really is in part the reason like the voice is so iconic the sound of the actor is so iconic the fan base is so huge why would you change it but at the same time spoiler alert in Phantom Pain, you don't play as Big Boss. So David Hayter right. voices Big Boss, and Venom Snake is not Big Boss. Venom Snake is this guy who's been 
he's been through like mental training to emulate Big Boss's character to impersonate him. He's a body double. He literally believes that he's Big Boss. He does not know that he's not Big Boss. So it being a different person's voice kind of makes sense. But the way that it was handled on the <laughs> administrative side, I don't like that. But I'm okay with the fact that it's not David Hayter's voice. Like, not, I mean, I would prefer it, but I understand why it isn't from the aspect of it's not really Man, my thing Big is, Boss or any of his descendants. My, look, my thing with that is if you listen to the, the, the interview we did, he does in real time the two different voices of Old Snake and Young Snake. I mean, dude is majorly talented. There's no reason why he couldn't voice Snake Absolutely. as a different. So that's like, yeah, I get it because of the storyline you want somebody. It's not really him, but there's no reason why David Hitter couldn't have done the voice in a different way. And still, yeah. But I know, Brandon. What do you think? To your own question, back um, at you. No, I don't think we'll ever find out. Um, but I do think that your point is interesting about you know he could do Young Snake or Old Snake. It'd be interesting if he did like even a third, slightly different voice. Yeah, and yeah. people were asking like, "What is the de- what? Like, what's with his voice?" And then they get to the end. Like, I feel like for me, that would be an even more mind blowing thing if he had created like a third voice. Uh, to play this dude, but I will say that the ending to that game sucked because it cannot. It's you know what's it's so weird that it seems like everybody's egos got in the way. I know we're supposed to be talking about that, <laughs> but no, it's crazy ahead. that everyone's egos got in the way of making five a great game. Um, with the exception of David Hayter, but like Kojima and Konami, and it was just like they just like this explosion. And for whatever reason, that game just gets got cut off at the knees. And I think that it could have been fantastic. Well, I think the problem was is Kojima was just taking too damn long. You know, they they Konami, I think the main problem, I don't know if this is true, but I think the main problem was that Konami was like, we want you to release this game. We need to make money. You've been working on it for, you know, how many years? And Kojima's like, no, it's ready when it's ready, you know, kind of thing. And then it's just, I think that's, you're right at part of the ego part, but I think it was just that, you know, who, I don't know who's right or wrong on that side. You know, Kojima's working on it for a long time. Konami's paying for the development of this game, you know. That's their money. He's wrong. I, yeah <laughs> yeah so that's i mean it sucks we all and then we all lost out on it i still actually haven't played through through five i just i, I just something about it i mean it's a great game i've played probably 40 percent of it but something it's just i don't know I, I i think all the negativity of like what i hear from you guys who've actually beat have beat the game that's where i'm like eh, i don't know um i can actually play it's fantastic it's just a story that falls down yeah yeah there's some stuff that's like there's some like big reveals, right, in the game that you're like, that's it? Like that's how you're gonna reveal that? Like <laughs> you remember in the scene where you're riding in the back of the Jeep with Skullface and you're like he's like showing you around the base and you're supposed to be amazed and the music is playing. I was like, yo, this is boring. Yeah. Like this is so the music is low as fuck, like it's not syncing up like with stuff. I was like, this is kind of boring. But the game overall was cool. So actually even though what I said about it not being the character, like Big Boss is in the game in the beginning, <laughs> and he's at the end because he has like a little like outro monologue that he says, and it's still not David Hayter's voice. So, I mean, even if they could have split the two and still had him play Big Boss just for those small moments, like that would have been fine. But yeah. they didn't do it at all. So, I mean, all right, what's great? Yeah, I mean. 
I guess it is what it is at this point. We can talk ad nauseum about what could have been, but um, absolutely. So I want to dive into the the actual game itself. Uh, so there's a whole bunch of things that I've broken down: the music, graphics, the story, the overall experience. So one of the things for me, Josh, you and I had this conversation about scores and stuff. Like I actually went back oh. and I went back to listen to some of this music and like, oh my god, like the emotion that I got, like the callback to playing that game, like when Sniper Wolf died and the ending of the game and um so the music was composed by kce sound team japan by tappy i'm gonna butcher this i try to find a way to pronounce it but um tapai or tappy awasi and rika muranaka um and they're they're the ones that originally did metal gear solid so a lot of people i think confuse harry gregson williamson did i say that right brandon gregson williams um, Williams, I think it's Williams. Williams, right? I think it's Williams, right? So he's a he's he's like a famous um, composer for movies who actually helmed the uh, the set the music for Metal Gear Solid Two. And I don't think a lot of people don't didn't know that he didn't do the music for this game because it's actually I'm still to this point. If you listen to the actual soundtrack, I'm still really impressed, and it gives me like this true like big feeling of nostalgia. So, um, what did you guys think about the music and what like what do you remember? I was just really. Like I thought it was super cinematic, and it's something that you know, we hadn't experienced at the time. Mm. The music was pivotal for me in that game. Like I said before, you know, big score horror right here. So <laughs> even as a young kid, I was like, "This is awesome." Um, I really enjoyed it. I actually liked it so much. I actually I don't remember where I purchased it, but I had found this the official soundtrack on a disc like old school like in the disc case and i bought it and i would put it in my computer and just listen to it and be on the computer and just like have fun brian what do you remember from from the music or did it you know so the music was immediately striking to me um like i remember some of the stuff with Vulcan Raven and like you said, the part where Meryl died. And I remember uh, the song at the end, like one of the theme songs, the best is yet to come. Like it, it was to not be Harry Gregson Williams, to not be like what you would think of as a big Hollywood score, someone that does that kind of music. It was striking to me, even as a kid. So that was music that I had immediately. So just like Josh, I didn't go buy a disc. Uh, I was one of those illegal kids, so I pirated it because uh, for whatever reason I couldn't find it somewhere Arr. else. But hey, you know it happens. <laughs> um, so I I had that. I and ever since then, right? So I've, I've gotten every soundtrack since then. Four and five, not so much, but one, two, and three, and even Peacemaker. Holy shit! Um, but this I come to expect from this series, like like Bond level music like scores that i just i can listen to again and again and again and again um that was fantastic yeah definitely the best is yet to come and i played that uh, the singing and stuff is just like you know hits you like, it hits me like i feel like a lot of emotion it's it's pretty impressive for a video game to still I, that's what i say about i think metal gear overall as a video game and experience was the amount of emotion that those games make you feel most notably one in three for me but um yeah like one well i can still hear otacon saying like uh like what is she fighting for like what are we fighting for and then hearing that music in the background it's just like man um 
that's pretty deep yeah. for a game. And I think that's why as a as yeah. a teenager, you know, like I was big into movies, I'm sure you guys were too. And it's kind of like that was the first time we got to experience that cinematic feel in a game. And you know, it was just uh, So it's like it's like a I don't remember know if you remember from our interview with him, uh Peter, Metal Gear, uh Metal Gear Solid was the first game where the cutscenes were all rendered in the gameplay render. That was to give an overall like more cinematic it doesn't cut to like this pixelated gameplay render over to like this super high res like characters with like expressions and stuff like everything all the cutscenes, all the gameplay it's all the same across the board to give it like that cinem- more cinematic uh feel that was, that was a pretty interesting fact that i actually did not know when he told us that i thought that was pretty cool I mean, I did notice that playing it. Like, I remember just playing it. Like, wow, there are no like CG cutscenes in this game. But it was kind of funny yeah. to go back. I mean, you can only do so much. You, I mean, they didn't even have eyes, you know, let alone mouths. Yeah. So like, so they're like, that was my impression. You couldn't they're see. Just, if I was like, they're just head they bobs. Just that's, that's what makes talking. me laugh. So like, are we saying that Christopher Walken doesn't have eyes? Is that, what, <laughs> is that what's going on here? Hey, I'm just going yeah. by the information that I found, saying that he was modeled after Christopher Walken. So I don't, I don't know. But um, yeah, I thought, yeah, that. That was an interesting thing because I was a big Resident Evil fan and I played a lot. I played like Brandon mentioned Resident Evil 2 had come out. And that was one of the things that that game did was it had some pretty amazing CG cutscenes. Um, but the game, it also had gameplay cutscenes. And so I think it didn't break quite break the immersion, you know, so much. To speak. And that's actually a good transition. We're talking about the faces, about the graphics for, for the time. Um, what do you guys remember about the game graphically, you know, how it stands up to to today versus what we all experienced, you know, in 1998. Brandon, I'll let you go on this one. I liked um, the look of the game. It was very stylized. Uh, thinking about what existed at the time, like, yes, Siphon Filter kind of looked like it, but I think that this artwork, at least to my recollection, holds up better. Um, and there were some things that they did graphically, like... Um, like the chafing effect or um, just like the sound design and all of those things working together to kind of create this experience that I hadn't really had before up until that point. Uh, Because even like with Resident Evil, with the tank controls and stuff like that, and I know we're just talking about the way the game looks, but all of this stuff going into the way that this game was, it created an experience that, that sticks with me even to this day. Um, and I loved like, even from the start, the way that, you know, that, that submarine goes into the base and then you coming out of the water and something about the way all of that looked. And I felt immediately sucked into this world and just even, yeah, yeah. um, just the description of what you were there to do and the immediate feeling of danger that I felt like you know, on-site procurement of your weapons, you know, weapons are OSP and just feeling like you're kind of naked out there. Cause every game you start out with, you at least have a pistol, right? And this, you're like, no, you, you're, you're just going in there hand to hand, baby. And the look of the game kind of helped suck you into this idea. So yeah. I really loved it. With the sneaking suit and all that stuff. Like, you know, what's funny is like graphically, I was never, it never left me wanting mm-hmm. Like, I was like, it's perfect for what it's trying to convey and portray to me. Like, I completely understand. I don't need any crazy, super detailed anything. Like, it does just enough 
like the perfect, it gives you the perfect amount for you to just understand what's happening. But the well, weird thing about that is like what they were able to convey without eyes or mouth yes. that really moved. Like that's what's so crazy to me about that. Um, so yeah. like as far as action goes, yeah, that was cool. But I still like Pete to your point about, you know, that line, what is she fighting for? What are we fighting for? Like you still felt that emotion. You know, you couldn't really tell what the fuck's going on with their faces. Um, yeah. And so to your point, Josh, about the game doing enough, I felt like it was it was punching above its weight in terms of what it was able to do to bring in all of these different elements in terms of gameplay and music and the way that it looked to force you to feel those things that stick with us, you know, more than 20 years later. Yeah. And I definitely feel like the... It's the voice acting adds more to that way because the voice acting in the game overall is superb. And I feel like it compensates for that lack of facial expression because of its graphical limitations. But like you said, it punches above its weight. But I feel like the the, the voice acting overall definitely aids it. If it was just like, because we've all played those games where a character just like very blandly gives you a set of instructions or telling a story, or everything is read instead of of an actual voice actor. Like, the voice acting definitely helped those graphical limitations. Like you said, it helped it punch above its weight. Yeah, and uh, so the last thing that I'll say about this is it almost feels like, so even though I really like the music to this, the analogy that I used for this game in my head was that the voice acting to this game is as the the musical score to Star Wars is, right? So that movie for the first Star Wars, like that music really did a lot to carry that movie. Yeah, and 100%. so this again, this is facing those same kind of like it's limited in that way, and that you can't even show facial expressions and the voice and the passion that these people felt as they're having these conversations, like very real conversations about nuclear deterrence and nuclear proliferation and what it means to, to, to be a family and all of that stuff. Like these are relatively deep concepts and no faces, no eyes, no mouths. And they just, they were able to do it all. So I'm, I'm continually amazed just going back in those memories, remembering how I felt. Yeah, you know, you know, those are all fantastic points. But you know, I think what helped with the face point was when the codec calls. Which, I mean, if you if you want to break it down, just doesn't make any sense at all because they actually acknowledge each other's faces when he talks about Mei Ling being so cute. But it's like, like, I remember playing. I was like, wait, how does he see her face? I'm like, whatever. I just overlook it. This game, you know, I don't I don't care about that. Um, But I think that also helped with that because not the the entire game wasn't all just. In game cutscenes, they also had a lot of dialogue, a lot of cutscenes in the codec, which we actually got faces and stuff. So I think they actually kind of helped out that missing oh, yeah, element. Link spaces. Yeah. And um, but to your point, yeah, the 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 voice acting is key. I'd I mean I'd go out as far as to say this might be one of the best voice acted games ever. Would you guys say that? Or would you think that's a fair statement to say? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the, sound I think is, that, the sound design, in my opinion, is literally, like, without flaw. Yeah. Iconic yeah. sounds, right? Stuff. So yeah. We were playing hold on, um, hold on, here we go. Modern Warfare, right? <laughs> or, the codec, <laughs> or the codec call? I was waiting all day to play that. <laughs> so to that point, Pete, you were playing Modern Warfare this week. Yes. Like, is that the fucking codec? <laughs> like, so there, there are these things... 
I've I've literally heard the codec in some movie like within the last five years. I was like, no, that that sound can't be anything else. Like I know what that is. Um the alert I sound I can that I just played is like all over YouTube. Like yeah. even people like just people playing you random YouTubers, like, you know, all over YouTube, they play this sound. Like just all yep. the time. And it, they didn't even know what it's coming from. Like my daughter knows that sound. She says, "Oh, you know, like Sniper Wolf uses that in her videos," but she has no clue, you know, what it's originally from. It's like it's like, <laughs> or that or why that person's name is Sniper Wolf. <laughs> yeah, she would. Okay, no fun fact though. Yeah, that's actually a funny tie. And Sniper Wolf actually was a pro, I believe, a programmer. She was really good, but now she just does YouTube response videos. She's actually pretty funny. Uh, I'll give her credit for that, but. Yeah, that's kind of funny. Her name is Sniper Wolf. I didn't, even, I didn't even think about that correlation to our topic today. But um, yeah, it's, it's just funny you that that what? sound, you talk about that sound like in the codec call, like it's like synonymous now. It's like it's literally iconic. It's in pop culture. One of the things that used to irritate me about my iPhone and one of the things that made me want to get rid of it ahead of its time, like way back when, when it first came out, when I first had it, um, I remember my first iPhone was a 3GS. And I it, I had a hard time making the Metal Gear sounds my notification sounds, and oh, I was like, yeah. "Fuck this phone, fuck this shit." And that's what I I wanted to get an Android phone. And every time I got a text message, it was a codec. Every time I got an email, it was that alert sound. Every time my like it was something from that game um, that impacted me years later. So because it's I, perfect, I was <laughs> that was it, it's fantastic. That was my actual uh, notification for text messages from Josh for like the longest time. Like when we were at we were, we were on base together in the same unit, that was my notification for him. I think when he like first got here, we were like talking about how much we love Metal Gear. That was like for the longest time. That was my notification for Josh was the codec call. Yeah, the yeah, only it, people that got the codec call on my phone were my friends. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. I actually I had I had separate ones for different people, but you and I, like you and I, we never actually. I don't think we rarely ever text. We were always in a group chat together. That's how we always but communicated, so which is funny. It's, it's not only that. Like you have the alert sound, the codec uh, call sound, but there's also like the item pickup. Yep. Sound yep. like when you when you open up with L two and it goes, mm-hmm. and then the the use of ration sound that <laughs> and the fucking game over noise. <laughs> All that stuff. It's all <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. It's it's just you can't get away from it. It's too good. It's too good. Man, I really I was really gonna add those to the to the soundboard, but I just got fed up with like fucking around with it all day yesterday, so I didn't add. I really wish I did now. <laughs> I'm gonna play them, you know, in, in After Effect. Yeah. Um, all right, we talked about the music, and then we've talked about. The graphics, some yeah, we talked about the graphics. Let's get into the story, um, and then we'll close out with the overall experience and like with our lasting memories, whatever, what have you. Um, so, like I was saying, the game itself was the first time that I ever had a game that truly gave me that cinematic feel. Resident Evil sort of did it, I think. First, it had some of that, but I think Metal Gear did it way, way better with the with the music, and it was like seemed to be less cheesy. Like the, I would say, if you remember the first. Um, Resident Evil, the voice work wasn't great, but when you go to Metal Gear Solid, like, oh my god, like we just talked about, it, it's like amazing, so everything that puts together, so, and then like, Brandon, you already you already alluded or brought it up, was the story talking about war, and how, remember Snake was talking about, because Meryl like I- idolized him, and he's telling 
her that war basically like sucks. Like it's not something that like you should you know idolize or look up to or, or aspire to be uh, a trained killer sort of thing. So yeah, yeah like you said, the they iconic the- line where he says, "I'm no hero." Yeah. Oh my god, I was like, "Oh right? yeah." <laughs> so. Um, Brandon, I'll let you go on this one too about the, since you were touching on some of this stuff, uh, what, it, what are your thoughts on the overall story and what do you remember from it and kind of like what it means for you know, today? Um, I think that at least for me, it's a story that kind of stands the test of time. Like it gets ridiculous at some points. The, the fact that you have these two twins, one of them that has, you know, is, is perfect from a genetic sense. And the other one that is just basically normal, um, and that they have to fight each other and they just have these two different ideals about the way that the world should be. Um, I really like the story. Um, I, I don't think that I would change much about it. I, I'd probably take out some of the more pervy elements. Um, but I, I, one of the things that we didn't really talk about was just this idea of a, a gray wolf as well. This other soldier that, um, great, great another Fox. time, Gray Fox, yeah. Sorry, Gray Fox, yeah. Gray Fox, my bad. Okay. No, you're good. Um, you're good. I'm not going to pull your Metal Gear Solid fight. card today. Just so you know, I won't. Man. I won't. <laughs> um, I love that fight, and it was hurt something about that fight. Yes, it hurt the like the clashing of bone and sinew, and like all of that stuff. Like I, I that was intense. like it because. I was saying that was an intense moment, like just in gaming, that whole game. Yeah. I just remember how intense that fight that fight was. Yeah, between that fight and the Psychomantis fight and just all of that stuff, even beyond just a gameplay perspective, from a story perspective, I like those moments, these people who have been born and bred for war, and some of them just are like fed up with it and just want to die, and other people are like, No, I- I'm good with this, and we're just gonna we're gonna help uh would snake do all this stuff and it's like the perspectives that they were coming from everybody had a thing to say about this and it wasn't cheesy and it wasn't um annoying like i feel like it could get preachy now but like vulcan raven had something to say psycho mantis had something to say um ray fox had something like everyone had a thing to say about about the situation that you're in that was interesting that you wanted to listen to so i loved the story from that perspective now they gave us kojima gave us some I mean, over across all the storyline, he gave us some really interesting characters and made you want to like learn more about them. I think that was what, you know, kind of with this game was the fact that especially you brought up the Psycho Mantis fight. How much did that fuck with you guys? I'm kind of curious to know. You know Absolutely. How- 100%. So the two things that re- I recall. I forget, I forget what exactly which exact save files he reads off your memory card. I just said Castlevania. That was the one I had was Castlevania. And I just remember him I don't saying, remember. he said something like, do you like Castlevania's game? Don't you? And I was just yeah. Like, he goes like, ah, you like to play Castlevania. Yeah. yeah like- <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, hold on. And then like when, it, when it would like go black and would say Hideo <laughs> on the screen, I'd be like, yeah. it really like just like fucked with me. Like I was really confused. And then like yeah. I kept dying. I died like at least two or three times from what I could remember. And then that's when you get that Kodak call, like plug your controller into the other port. And so yeah. I just remember that fight. Just like that yeah. was something, another thing that I had never experienced in a game before breaking. The, that's the whole, that's another topic I wanted to talk about too, but breaking that fourth wall. Right. So how much did that, that fight scene fuck with you guys? I'm kind of curious to know. So I remember being a kid and completely just not understanding at all. 
just, <laughs> just be just be just sitting there like uh, uh whatever <laughs> i don't um uh, <laughs> but the game itself breaks the fourth wall a lot all the time like and it's pers- it persists across all metal gear games that yeah. fourth wall breaking like in codec calls they're like oh make sure that you do this by pressing the action button and you're like what <laughs> so and then you're like oh yeah x and it's like use the crawl button to achieve, to like get into the, this crawl space and you're like how do you know i'm playing a game like isn't this supposed to be a story like it does it all the time Brad, oh, get her get her coat off the back of the cd disc what okay Are before you- before i get <laughs> oh. i think i told you guys this story before before i get into I this, this with story, brandon yeah. I so I didn't buy the game when it came out. My parents just didn't they just didn't buy it for me. So I would go to a, a place called again back in our day. We used to go to video stores to rent our games, and so Family Video was. And I didn't have a car because I was like a freshman in high school. So I I would either ride my bike. Anyways, it was a. I got to that point in the game. And they didn't give you the case when you rented the game, and so I was like, "What the fuck does that mean?" And I didn't have internet at the time. I may have had a dial up or a, a, AOL or something at the time. I don't even maybe maybe they didn't even have that. So it wasn't like you just go and Google it. I had a walk in the middle of a fucking snowstorm to get the family video look at the back of the case get the codec number which is i believe 141.15 i don't remember i don't remember um if i remember that i'm I'm pretty impressed with my my long-term memory but and then i had to walk all the way back it was about two mile walk nothing crazy but in a snowstorm and then that's how i got past that part yeah, up, yeah, exactly. Uphill with no both shoes. Ways. <laughs> so I just remember that that will stay with me to the day I die. Just remembering me like not figuring that out. But anyways, back to the uh, original. Thing. You were so close. Wait, it's one four zero dot one five. Oh, one four zero. Uh, what I completely forgot about that because I don't buy games uh, physically anymore is the inserts. And so I remember my grubby fingers having that insert that you would read, like read about the characters and read about the game. You guys remember this? Yeah. You would open up the double disc. Like I have completely forgotten about that memory until just now. Yes. You open it up and then like you just scroll through it and you're looking through, uh, looking at all the character designs and looking what they're saying about the story. Like for whatever reason, I I just remember my fingers were just gross, like just flipping through this thing over and over and over again. Didn't yeah, do that with you can't, you can't get enough of it. And then the artwork, like the artwork for the game itself, like Yoji Shinkawa, who is the artist for all that, like that, that style of art that they do for all Metal Gear games, like that, like windy, like kind of character, that incomplete line, like art. It's so perfect, believe it or not. So I don't know if you've ever seen, I mean, Peter's met my wife, April, right? April, she's in, uh, she was in the army. That's how we met. And Peter knows her, right? April actually has a tattoo on her shoulder of a horse. And I remember, like, one of the first times I saw it, I was like, who, like, it looks like Yoji Shinkawa art. Like, it's the same style, but it's a horse across her shoulder. And she was like, I don't know who that is. And I showed her, like, this is (laughs) Yoji Shinkawa's artwork. And I showed her, like, artwork from Metal Gear. And she was like, wow, like... That's crazy because it looks eerily similar. And I was like, I wonder where you got like this prompt from. But I thought that was pretty cool. She has like this artwork from this artist that I really like. I mean, I don't know if he did the artwork himself, but it's in that style that I love. And she just happens to have it. It's meant to be, y'all. But <laughs> it's, to be. Uh, it's meant to be. 
But I thought that that was so cool. And looking through the flip book and seeing all that stuff, oh, I remember doing that as well. And just being like blown away by how much detail overall is in the game. It's just, it's just a good time. The whole experience is just a good time. Yeah. yeah. Um. All right. Before Brandon, I wanted, to, I wanted to get your take on the um, on the uh, Psychomantis fight. What what was your experience like? Do you remember? Was it that memorable for you? Like how I was describing it? Like what was your experience with that fight? Can't imagine the person that played that around that time that it wasn't memorable for. Like I would be kind of weirded out if somebody played that game. It was just like yeah, it was whatever. Um. So for me, the thing that stuck out to me about it was the fact that he he recognized your gameplay style. Like if you saved a lot, he would comment on that. Mm, yeah. Or yeah. if you didn't save a lot, he would talk about how reckless you were and like crap like that. And it was like, this is this is some next level shit. <laughs> and I've I've enjoyed games since then. Like, no doubt. I have played stuff, loved it, enjoyed it. it hasn't gotten that weird or that good sense yeah that was that was a height that i've yet to hit again not not emotionally because i still think that metal gear solid 3 like the emotional through line for that game is still my favorite of any game that i've played in terms of game play this one is still the one for me yeah yeah you hit that you man you hit it the nail on the head all the things that you mentioned that that yeah like just just blow just blew you away like and you sat there and like, you're just like how the fuck it doesn't occur like i mean you, those games just didn't do that back then they didn't call back yeah. to your to your saves and like spit it back at you and that was like the thing breaking that fourth wall um all right um i'm gonna play this last clip of david Hader reflecting on being snake and then we'll close it out uh our overall experience and our lasting thoughts about metal gear solid and then uh we'll close it out that way how's that sound very good it's me all right here it is well, I mean, there's a number of lovable aspects. It's it's uh, it's such an amazing character to play. You know, it's the the stories are so rich and complex and strange, and and um, the, there's so much love and brilliance that goes into each of the games. Like, I love playing the games and and just being a part of that world um, is very cool. And then beyond that, the 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 purity of the fan love is really startling to me because, you know, everybody gets hassled online and everybody gets jerks or whatever. And so do I sometimes, mm. but overwhelmingly the snake fans are so nice and they're so excited, uh, you know, to, to meet me or to, to, to talk about metal gear. And I mean, it's a really, remarkably respectful community and and um and it just you know i always say it's kind of like it's kind of like you know i'm sure dan castellaneta who does homer simpson's voice feels the same way like like you can just be like oh you need to like this and, and <laughs> that's pretty and good think, that was a good impression yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but you know, you just you just break it out with your voice, and suddenly it makes people happy, and and it gives them, you know, this this amazing feeling, and it's it's like having a superpower, and it's just so lovely. I mean, they're they're really, you know, in terms of being Snake, there's there's really no downside. It's 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 quite quite a remarkable journey this has been. So I mean, when he said that, like that's just like man, what a nice guy. What I just 
what a super nice dude. I mean, uh, you could tell he really appreciates um, the love he gets for his portrayal of Snake. And just, man, like that just kind of like sums. I just kind of wanted to close out our podcast with that just because of just how awesome that last, uh, that bit was, the story or quote, you know, that he gave us. So, um, what do you guys think about the, what he's, what, how his reflection on being Snake over all these years? And then just basically close it out with the overall experience. Um, Josh, I'll let you go and then I'll go and then Brandon, I'll let you finish up since you're the guest. So Metal Gear has definitely shaped who I am uh, growing up and trying to understanding like that hero aspect that came from uh, Solid Snake and the characters they're in, like understanding conflict and interpersonal relationships. It was really for its time it was immaculate um the way that the game interacts with you again referencing the fourth wall stuff um is unique for its time definitely um there was just a lot of things that the game did first that changed the way people play games the way that games are made and i feel like i'm lucky to have been a part of have Metal Gear be, be part of my upbringing. Like, there's some kids now that Fortnite is a part of their upbringing. And more power to you. Games shape... <laughs> games, games shape minds. They really do. Whether I don't... Uh, whether it be in a positive or a negative light. Games shape minds. And I'm happy that one of the games that shaped the way that I am and the way that I feel about things and the way that I look at the world was this game. I will forever have Metal Gear in my heart. And it will always be at the centerpiece of what made me the gamer that I am today and how I appreciate a well-told story, whether it be in a film, a show, a book, a game, a comic book, it doesn't matter. It has definitely shaped how I interpret the world and how I see the world, especially from a military standpoint. Like, it, I don't know if uh, you guys know, but this is like almost 90% one of the reasons why I joined the military to begin with. I mean, I understand I'm never going to be sent to Shadow Moses Island by myself to fuck people up, but, uh, and find like some long lost clone <laughs> brother that, cause I'm like part, some super soldier clone, whatever. I get it. That's cool. But it's still like, I, I, it's part of the reason why I joined and I'm always going to cherish it. It was like I said, ahead of its time. There's some things that are cut from Metal Gear Solid one that I would have liked to have seen knowing now, like looking back on it, but as it is, I think that it's perfect. Yeah, I think uh, that's a good point. I think, I mean, it's damn near a perfect game, you know, um, from my point of view. And it's just, uh, everything just struck the right chord for me as a teen, you know, all the stuff that I like, you know, the the combat, the sneaking, the, the military, the story and the acting and the music just all summed up everything that I was into as a kid, you know, like, you know, you're talking about something I grew up on Terminator. We talked about Terminator, you know, aliens, you know, sci-fi, uh, just stuff in general. And it, I just listening to that clip from David Hader, just, man, what a nice dude. Um, if you haven't heard the the interview, you can go back and play it. It's from, um, it's in one of our older episodes, but just what a fabulous dude, um, talented and just, uh, uh, overall, just the game, Metal Gear Solid game, just 
man, I'll never be. I'll, there's things that I literally will never forget in my lifetime from that game, which is just, I think, an amazing thing to say from a video game from 1998. And, and that's all. That's all I have to say about it, uh, Brandon. I'll let you have your final piece. Yeah, I agree with both of you, and I don't think I really have too much to add to it. I remember I tweeted something at him, at David Hayter, last year, and I said something like, I love that you and Metal Gear have been part of nearly my entire gaming life um, up to this point. And I, I think Josh said it great in the fact that it's great that this is one of the games that influenced me versus something like Fortnite. Because it was a very cerebral game for what it was at the time, the, the topics that they talked about, and I absolutely loved it. Um, I. It's interesting looking at the things that influenced this game and what came out of it. Uh, regardless of what happened with Kojima later and the kind of things that we do to talk about before, it's amazing to me how ahead of his time with this game and this series period um, and this game in particular like sits in I don't know if you guys have seen Soul but in Soul there's this thing called like the Hall of You and so they're just these things that will make up who you are um, this is definitely going to be one of those things for me so like David Hayter and Metal Gear sit right up there next to like Batman and Kevin Conroy terms of shaping who I am as a person, like the way that I see entertainment um, in terms of games and content. So I, I'm, I'm eternally grateful from that perspective. Yeah, well, well said. Yeah, well said for both of you guys. It's just, it's, it just blows my mind. I just, it's amazing that a game could, you know, really touch us that way that Metal Gear has, you know, influenced us and, and reached us and, and millions of other people too. It's just, I, I love it. It's such a great story. Unfortunately, it didn't quite end how how we would have liked you know, what they did, but um, yeah, that's well said. So that's pretty much all I have for today's episode. Um, again, if you guys haven't heard the, the interview that Josh and I did from 2019, it's on. It's scroll back, scroll all the way down. It's there. Um, it was a fun time. One of the first and, first episodes. Yeah, and then don't ask me how it happened. It was pure luck. That's how I look at it. it. Even says in the interview, like I don't know how this happened. So, but um, <laughs> um, that being said, uh, Brandon, thanks again for coming on. Um, if anyone wants to check out your work, where should they go? You can catch me at lrmonline.com. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Sir Jonesiest, and you can find my podcast on at Breaking Geek Radio Podcast. All right. Well, it's been a ton of fun, and I really enjoyed putting this episode together. Uh, thank you guys so much, Brandon. Thanks again for coming on. Josh, as always, thank you for doing this with me as a co-host. And um, Ruthie will be back. She was uh, on hiatus today, but she will be back on our next episode. So uh, thank you all, and um, catch you all later. Bye, everyone. Don't be shitty. <laughs>